This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field. He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. Podcast episode is number 83. Doing this on Thursday, May 25th. Sponsored by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app. You got the NBA playoffs and some seven and a half point favorite action that I'll talk about in a little bit. But it's a special day today on the podcast. Uh, in a few moments, we're going to be joined by the new the new president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, Keith Jones, Jonesy, and get his plan for this franchise's resurgence. Uh, we're uh, also going to be uh, talking to you about uh, my event that I'm hosting on Saturday. I'm very excited about at uh, the winery Natalie Vineyards, which I am part owner of. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll riff on Memorial Day weekend, whether it's overrated or underrated. Uh, but uh, let's start with what uh, we start with and what we call the current current events that are going on in Philadelphia sports right now. And today's current event starts with the Philadelphia Phillies. A, a big monster win yesterday afternoon, maybe a season rejuvenating win. It's just when it looked like the, uh, the Phillies were going to get swept uh, by the, the young Arizona Diamondbacks. They were down 5 nothing in the game with Bishop Eustace's Zach Gallon on the mound against them. They somehow uh, get a rally to get it to 5-3, and then in the bottom of the ninth, Trey Turner, who's been getting booed at the yard, jumps on a first pitch hanging breaking ball, and boom, it's a two-run homer. It ties the game, sends it in extra innings where the Phillies win it in the 10th as Alec Bohm hits a drive beyond the outfielders, and it would have scored anyway whether it dropped or not. So so let's let's look at this game here. Now, 5-3, Gallon got in a little trouble. The relief pitcher couldn't hold it, and so they scored three important runs there to close it. Now, then it looks like they're going to, okay, here it comes again, and the crowd is groaning, and they're going to lose it. Okay, they scored three runs, but they're not going to finish this off. It's going to end 5-3, uh, and then all of a sudden with two outs, Bryson Stott, this is the underplayed moment of this game. Nobody's even talking about it. Stott battles his way to get a base hit up the middle to keep the game alive. All right, now, Turner comes up. Now, okay, th there's a lot of pressure on Trey Turner to deliver. And I'm trying to put myself in the mind of Trey Turner. First of all, one of the most ridiculous things about Philadelphia sports 
is getting impatient with great players. Like, players that you know are good players. Like, this happened with Harper early in his career. Oh, we wasted money on Harper. The last guys you have to worry about are guys like Harper and Turner, all right? They're true professional players, and if they go into a slump, it's not that big of a deal because they're good enough. They're going to come out of it. You know that they're reliable star players. So I always get down on Philly fans for booing. How do you boo a guy like Trey Turner? Just roll with it. He was struggling a little bit. He's uh, he, he maybe he's over anxious. He's getting himself in 0-2 holes. I get it. So I'm thinking uh, uh, Turner comes to the plate and he's going, okay, uh, here's the deal. Um, this guy is probably not going to throw me a first pitch fastball. So uh, I'll sit on a curveball here. Now, maybe he didn't sit on a curveball. And maybe the curveball was just so sloppy and hanging that he had time to adjust and get the bad head out on it and smash it. But he was going to be aggressive in that situation because either he thought the pitcher was going to try to get first pitch fastball down there or uh, I'll hit a mistake curveball. And that's what he did. And he hit when he first hit it. I didn't think it was out. He's got pop. So the ball carries and winds up going close to 400 feet and uh, it ties the game with two strikes with two outs. So, you know, that that pitcher, and if you're a fielder, I saw watch the second baseman turn his round and he's got his head down like, oh, damn, how could you how could you throw a sloppy curveball in that situation? We're we're one out away from winning this game and sweeping the Phillies, and you throw that crap. So uh so Turner, uh, believe me, that's uh, yeah, that's a load off his mind. Man. You hit a home run like that, it's a load off your mind. You free you you, you swing a little more freer when you're a baseball player. You get that kind of weight off your shoulders. and You're always struggling and you're grinding. And you're, you're trying to get a hit to please people. And you get yourself in counts where you're 0-2 and you're swinging at bad pitches because you're too anxious to get a hit. All that stuff applies. Psychology of a hitter, twice the hardest thing to do. Drives you nuts to be a hitter. Uh, and so guys like Trey Turner and Bryce Harper don't get impatient with these dudes. They figure it out because they're professional star players. All right. So now let's go to the Diamondbacks' 10th inning. Um, now, Diamondbacks have a chance for a salvo. This is an interesting dynamic about baseball in that situation with the ghost runner on second base. In my mind, there always should be a bunt in that situation. However, when a slugger is up, you can't do it. And so the first batter in that inning with the ghost runner on second is Christian Walker. Christian Walker may have bunted three times in his whole life. In his whole life. I'm talking about peewee ball. He's always been the strongest, biggest hitter. You don't got to bunt a guy like that, right? So he has no familiarity on how to bunt. So they can't bunt with him. So he's the first hitter. If it's anybody else, you bunt with him. They couldn't bunt with him in that position. And so that, that, gives you, that puts you at a disadvantage. I don't like the bunt in baseball in general, okay? I'm a new school guy. I think bunting is giving a guy an out. Early in the game, when you can drive a guy in from second base, I think that's the better play than giving up an out. But when it's late like that, and you get the runner to third base with one out, what has to happen? They have to bring the infield in. It increases your chances for hits exponentially to score that run. But because Christian Walker was the hitter that inning, they couldn't do it, and the Diamondbacks wound up not scoring that in that inning. So now let's go to the Phillies' 10th. This is really interesting. Because the batter, after the ghost runner's on, is who? Schwarber. He's not going to butt either. 
So so they wind up walking him because they're so afraid of him at that situation. I haven't pitched a swerver because it's either a home run, he's going to fly out, right? But they they pitch around him, and and so they they put that runner on base, and and that, of course, sets up uh, the game winner after the pass ball. No, it was uh, Cody Clemens is up. Now, Cody Clemens' first pitch squares to Bud. That's the move, right? You're not going to trust Cody Clemens in there with the bat in his hand to drive in that run. You might as well sacrifice the out with Cody Clemens. So what happens? Uh, they they wound up past pass ball and it defeats the whole thing and and Boehm hits in the gap and, and they win the game. But baseball is is beautiful like that. Little strategies like that are interesting. Me, if it's not a power hitter up, I bunt. But who's not a power hitter anymore in baseball? That's the thing. Like, who do you bunt with? Guys don't bunt anymore. So uh, it has to be like some middle infielder that has to be up in that situation for you to execute the best percentages for you to win the game. Now, think about that. It's crazy, right? You're trying to enhance your chances of winning a baseball game. You enhance it immeasurably by bunting the guy to third base. Darren, you have a question? Well, yeah, I want to I want to bounce this off you because it, it, yesterday really drove me nuts. This Phillies team, one of their biggest issues, I, doesn't get enough attention, and it's that they are extremely undisciplined at the plate these days. Gallon wasn't throwing strikes. I mean, he was missing by like eight to fifteen inches on eighty percent of his pitches. What? Why, why, why is this team suddenly so undisciplined? They should have been taking so many more pitches yesterday. I mean, he was missing. He was off. And there were opportunities there. And I just – that's what bothers me about this team right now. Yeah, well, guess what? They really they, are. They are trapped by their their reputation to rake. They're trapped. Yeah. They put together a lineup. They go, everybody goes, oh, and that team rakes, right? So they are trapped by that reputation where they have to hit. And so they're not they're not thinking clearly to get good at bats. Couple guys do. Stock gets great at bats all the time. Castellanos gets good at bats all the time. But they they are trapped by the reputation of this this hitting team. And sometimes that can backfire on you. Sometimes you're not as disciplined a, as you want to be because you have to produce because your reputation is that you're a hitter. And that's the way it works in baseball. A very frustrating game. They win, but yes which is a lot better to carry over on a 10-game road trip when you win a game like that. You get drubbed by the Arizona Diamondbacks at home. Your head is in your kulu, as they say. And so you go in, in Atlanta with a, with a bad mindset. That's not good. So they're going in with a fresher mindset. Now, the Braves are much better. It's a four-game series. So we'll see what happens in the series. They got the Braves and Mets for seven, and then the lowly Nationals for three on the way home, which would be a good exit strategy to play the Nationals on that road trip. All right, that's the baseball current for today. Let's get into the NBA playoffs. because The Boston Celtics won game four in Miami. And this is triggering all kinds of thoughts in Boston. Maybe this could be the team that breaks the 0-149 record of being 0-3. Nobody has ever come back from 0-3. But because the Red Sox did it, the people in Boston are now all gooey about the potential of the Celtics to come back. Well, let's look at it, okay? Um, Game five, if they win game five, and they are a seven and a half point favorite in this game. I am stunned by that line. So Vegas thinks they're going to romp in this game. 
If they win game five at home, they haven't been really good at home. I don't understand the seven and a half point line. They've got a losing record in the playoffs at home, but somehow at the TD Garden, seven and a half point favorite. Let's say they win that game. Now, all of a sudden, we got some because the Miami Heat now have all the pressure on them in game six. They have to win that game six or they risk losing the series going back to Boston in game seven. Now, I look at the Miami Heat as a together team. We talked about the connectivity of a team. However, I also look at the Miami Heat as a team that clearly has an expiration date on them playing so superior. They have played superior basketball. They're not good enough to play superior basketball. So somewhere along the line, it's going to run out. And if they lose game five and go back to game six with that kind of pressure, do they have the talent to rescue them at that point? Because at that point, the pressure is on at home for them to win and avoid a game seven. And if they go back to game seven, how tight will their sphincters be then? This could actually be a situation where the Celtics could break history and come back from a 3-0 deficit. Now, am I spitting in the wind here, Darren, or what? I mean, I, I thought the same thing because on paper the Celtics are a much better basketball team. You know, but the, look, the Heat are well coached. I can't see them losing four in a row. I, I mean, I could never see it, but I do think it's legitimately a possibility. I, I do, I, just because they're so much more talented overall than the Heat. If they weren't, if I saw them as a equal or less talented team, I'd say no shot. But I think on paper they're significantly better, and that's why you're not really spitting. I don't. You know, I I don't think it's good. I, I really think it's like there's something to this that no other team has done it. So and the Boston Celtics aren't a good enough team to say with well, you. That's the team that's going to do it because they're flimsy. You know how I feel about them. I am just putting out. The, the, the possibility, the dynamic here, if they win game five, game six pressure shifts completely to the Miami Heat. And at that point, that's where you need a talent to rescue you. The system doesn't rescue you at that point. The talent rescues you at, at that point. So we'll, it's, a, it's a fascinating dynamic, and we'll see how it plays out. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, welcome back to the Mike Missinelli podcast and a special guest today, boy, as we talk some flyer hockey with the newly minted president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers. The great Keith Jones joins us. My old buddy. What's up, Keith? So good to catch up with you, Mike, and so happy that uh, you're doing this. I mean, it's incredible the career that you had around Philadelphia. I loved watching, listening to you, and enjoyed all the work that you put in. So it's it's. Well, I, I appreciate it. Last pa- times we crossed paths, actually, you know, we you would come in with the morning show. I was doing the uh, midday show at the time, and you always you always said this to us. Anthony and I would walk out. You go, you guys are the best in the business. <laughs> I still remember that. You you just had that way of connecting with people. It was great. So so Keith, let's talk about the evolution of this job because it's really a pretty amazing story that. You know, the Flyers really wanted you. You're, you're sitting around and you're happy with your life and you're doing great TV work. And all of a sudden you get a chance to be the president of hockey operations. Take me through that process and, and how you negotiated it. Yeah, it was it was interesting, Mike. When the, the question was posed to me whether or not I would be interested, 
my answer immediately was yes. And when I thought about it after, the real reason for that was this is the only other job that I would take other than what I was doing. I mean, I love my job. I'm actually still doing it for a couple of more weeks before the final is completed. I have great friends in the industry like yourself, Angelo, the people at the radio station and, and Al Morganti as well and Rhea. Um, and also throughout all the hockey world that I've had these great connections with for a long time. So when I thought about it, I just said, yeah, and uh, let's go for it. And then during the interview process, I became more and more convinced that I could do a really good job and uh, help the Flyers get back on track. The biggest reason for it, though, is the fans. Without them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Um, I've had a great connection with them. I think a lot of it had to do with my radio work at WIP, giving them an opportunity to get to know me away from, you know, a microphone right in front of your face. They catch a little bit of your personality. And we've always had a great connection. So uh, that's kind of in a nutshell why I decided to go for it and then eventually get it. I, I think the great connection is going to be really important to give you the, the time you need to, to get this thing back. Uh, so, uh, why do you think you'll be good at this? You know, when you look at it, it, it's, it comes in, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about it before that you want to run a, a, an entire organization. I sure it crossed your mind. Uh, and, and so give me the attributes on why you think you would be good. Cause they certainly thought you would be good at it. Yeah. I, I think the number one thing is the connection with the fans as we kind of bring them along on this journey. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, I understand what's necessary. I understand that the media is not the enemy. The media is really a way to get your voice out to the fans. Difficult questions are going to come up, and you got to answer them. And I've watched it for years, and obviously with Angelo you know, calling out every individual on the planet Earth, uh, I recognize that there's a responsibility to you know, relay that message, be an upfront person, and uh, kind of keep your fans involved as you try to evolve into a much better team. And at this point where the Flyers are at, um, there's a lot of work to be done, and I think the fans recognize. So I do believe timing is important in this situation. As far as you know, what I can bring, I can also bring a you know a lot of understanding as to what happens around the hockey world, whether it's with coaches, general managers, you know, Gary Bettman, uh, the referees, the, the czars of discipline. I know them all. I know them all in a personal way. Um, I know it's going to be become a business way now. But uh, those relationships matter, and I think that's something that I can help Danny Breer as he, you know, embarks on trying to get this team the right pieces in place uh, in order us in order for us to be a you know a perennial Stanley Cup playoff team. And then, as we've seen with Florida, you get in the playoffs and you got a chance to win it all. Are you going to be working hand in hand with Danny? I get it, the, the, but what what will be the philosophy on how? you choose players to because you've seen the evolution of hockey and uh you know i i guess it's got the speed and and a big goalie uh primarily but I, but i know you have your certain ways on what you think builds a team in this day and age give me your philosophies on that yeah i i think the blue line is extremely important mike i think all six defensemen can be critically uh or crucial as far as building the type of team that you want that's going to compete every night and give you a chance to win on a nightly basis. The goaltender is important. Uh, to me, he's not the most important. The blue line, and that's something that I kind of grew up under watching uh, David Poyle when he's the general manager of the Washington Capitals and has a, had a long and extended career. He just stepped down this year in Nashville and retired on his own terms. But his teams were always built from the back end. 
uh, Pierre Lacroix in Colorado, similar in that regard. And then you mix in skill. And the way you get skill is you draft well. You know, you have to have young emerging players that continue to advance and progress. And our players have flatlined uh, over the last, I would say, six or seven seasons where you have players that show potential, but it's not something that, you know, eventually emerges and turns them into star players. We need our players to get better after we draft them. I think that's been a bit of a weak spot for the Flyers organization. So our development guys are going to be extremely important. And then it's a matter of having cap space. We're always up against it. We, we can't be. We have to recruit in this city. Uh, we have a great city. We have a city that teams want to play for. We are the Philadelphia Flyers. It still matters, but it's become something that has not mattered over the flat, uh, last few years. So when you have cap space and it's appropriate, then you add those star pieces that can put you over the top. Uh, those are the areas that I would really focus on. I think a lot of people think I'm an aggressive player, so I want you know extremely aggressive athletes playing for me. Not the case. I want to win. I want a team that can compete in today's National Hockey League. Um, all of those things combined, I think, are going to put us in a position over time to be a team that's a competitive team and one with a chance to win. So you want better athletes than yourself. Basically, where you just understand. <laughs> no, no. I let me then go back to the to the defense that you want to build. Um, so, what kind of a defenseman is perfect now that you, that you see? Do you want do you want a burly guy who just keeps people away from the net? Do you want skilled uh, uh, puck carrying defenseman? Or what, what? What? When you talk about building that blue line, what are you looking for primarily? Yeah, it's an important mix, but we need a number one guy. We need a number one that does all of those things. And they're there. They're rare, but they're there. Pronger was a great example of that. When he arrived in Philadelphia, the Flyers became a better team. Having a player like Kimo Tiemann in there, you know, to make sure that he advanced the back end as well was also important. Shot blocking, you know, physical player, but also had the offensive attributes that could add to the offense. In today's game, you need more puck-moving defensemen than you ever have in the past. You need players that can skate, that are agile, that can defend without taking penalties. Uh, the bigger, slower guys don't work anymore. You need guys, they can be big, but they better be able to skate. And a lot of these athletes can in today's game. Uh, those are the type of attributes that are going to help us. Uh, I've been lucky. I've been down at ice level over the last few seasons for all the national games. And I get an up-close and really personal look at how good these guys are and how well they defend and turn defense into offense. There's a list of players that I would be very interested in, but there's also kind of a formula for those players when you're drafting them. And I want our amateur scouts to really be looking for those type of talents. All right. Now, as far as the forwards go, um, what, what skills do you look for with forwards? You know, they, they thought all these years that they were drafting skill players and it turned out that they weren't. So what's, what's the dividing line on who has skill and who, who doesn't? Yeah, your most important players up front are your centermen. And they need to be skillful at both ends of the ice. At least, you know, three of the four do. You, you know, you obviously want an extremely highly skilled offensive player, like Giroux was when he was here. You know, a point-producing player that can help you in power play situations. Because you get a lot of power plays now. You know, they, they do call penalties frequently. And if you're not cashing in with your power play, you're not going to give yourselves a very good chance to win. So you need size and grit mixed in. 
Um, I think we have a lot of those elements already, and some of that was demonstrated last year under uh, John under John Tortorella. I think he really dug in and got to the, to the core of what we have with our players that are available to us right now. Uh, two years ago, it wasn't good. Two years ago, it was really bad. You know, a three nothing game turned into a six one final. Last year, three nothing became three three on a lot of different nights, and then they fell you know, late in the game, but they were much more competitive in that regard. I want players that want the puck more than the other guy. I want a witness to not just hit, but be hit and get up and get to the net. And I think that's the type of individuals that John Tortorella has respect for and holds accountable. And those are the kind of guys that we want up front. Uh, Keith Jones, we're talking to Keith. Uh, uh there's this obviously it's been brought up and it's been brought up already and some people are looking at this like uh same all same all you're staying at the flyer family which has not worked before um why will this be different it's different in many ways one of it is you know it's three of us and john tortorella is going to have a say he already has had a say based upon what happened last season uh we're going to try to get him the players that he believes can win for him uh, he is an extremely good coach, Mike. This is a this is a really bright guy that I respect as a human being. I think he's got great uh, morals. I think he's a really stand-up person. I think he can be difficult at times. And I think our players will benefit in the end for playing for John Tortorella. If they can get through it, they can gut it out, uh, they're going to find that there's even more than they probably expected in themselves. I played for coaches like that before. And Jim Schoenfeld, who's actually good friends with John Tortorella, they coached together. He was a, a, a person that drove me nuts when I played for him. And I see him today, I give him a big hug every time I see him. Because without him, I probably would not have been as successful as I was. Uh, but the fact that there's three of us involved in this process is different. Um, I tell people... I. I was here in Philadelphia. I played, what, around 100 games. Um, I did the other stuff on my own. I, this was not something that was given to me. I was an independent contractor while working for the Flyers. Um, that was not uh, an employee of the Flyers. I look at things a little bit differently than people. I did radio in the city as a former hockey player. Uh, that doesn't happen very often that a hockey player is talking about the Eagles for 21 years, especially with Angelo Cataldi. So this is a different thing. Believe me. we're looking at it, coming at it from a different angle. Uh, you brought the coaching, which is really a fascinating thing in the NHL for me, because this is the shortest leash of any professional sport, I think, on coaches. Uh, are you suggesting that you will have a longer leash on coaches, especially with Tortorella? Because let's face it, he's a guy that's come in and, you know, he lights a hot candle and then it burns out quickly and they, they dispatch coaches in this league like crazy. Uh, what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, I want him to be here for a long time. And I believe that he is the right coach for this team, this city. I, I think he represents Philadelphia in such a great way. Um, I think this is a hardworking city, hardworking fan base. And I think he gets it. He also gets that he has to develop young players. I think he demonstrated that last year with Morgan Frost, who took some advances in the second half of the season. Owen Tippett became a really uh, fun player to watch play because of all the assets that he was bringing to the table. I like that there's signs that players started to get it. Uh, I think there's a, you know, a real respect for the coach. And you know the ones that are going to be on the line on that 
like I was as a young player, you may find your game somewhere else. I mean, that's kind of the way it happened for me. So not that uh, every player is not a good person. Some guys respond to coaches differently, but John Tortorella is the right coach for this team. Jonesy, let's get into a little bit of the private Keith Jones, because you're such a likable, affable guy. Uh, But as a player, you are such a yapping pain in the ass. And, and uh, in fact, when they made the trade for you, I loved it. I mean, I, I thought it was a great trade. You got traded for Sean Podine, if people can remember back in the day. You, you come in, Podine was a popular player. Uh, but, you, like, off the ice, you, you have this cerebral calmness about you. I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how you reconcile those two parts of your personality. Uh, that is a great question. My mother used to ask me that all the time. Like, she'd see the you know the words coming out of my mouth when she was sitting up close at a hockey game. She goes, what's wrong with you? you know? And I'm like, hey, trying to win. But that's kind of how I established myself as a regular National Hockey League player. I got to Washington, and I uh, was out with Dale Hunter. We were having dinner, actually, at his house. And I was trying to make the team. And he looked at me, and he said, hey, Jonesy, if there's 500,000 sitting on your ta- this table right now and somebody walks in, grabs the 500,000 and starts to walk out of the house, are you going to fight them for it? And I said, yeah, of course. He goes, well, start fighting. So it was a great message because there was openings on the team, but if I didn't do the other intangibles, I wasn't going to get the job. I was number 41 when I arrived at training camp. That usually means you're going down and you're not lasting more than a few days. Uh, in recognizing what the team needed, I found a way to become that type of player. And that was kind of fun. I don't mind being disliked. I didn't mind being hated. I actually liked it. As long as, <laughs> long as my teammates liked me. And that's that fine balance. You can play that way. But if your teammates don't have your back, then you're in trouble. And I had some great teammates like Craig Berube, Rick Tockett, guys that had my back. And that allowed me to be a more aggressive player. Uh, I just want to look back quickly at, at the career when you got here it was after the 1997 uh, meltdown where they get swept and, and you come here and, and it's still like the Lindros Leclerc situation is still, they're still think they're going to get back to the Stanley cup. And, and then 1999 happens where the, the three, one lead and all the problems with Eric and all that. Just take me back quickly. Like in that era, that, that little three-year window that you played in, what was that like with the Flyers Then the up and down that you, you experienced? Yeah, it, it was, a, number one, a great experience for me because I, I did play with Lindros and Leclerc. I remember arriving in Philadelphia. Roger Nielsen was the coach, and he, he kind of hummed and hawed when he talked to you. I went, well, and he said, I, I'm going to try you with Lindros and Leclerc. And the first practice I was here, I said, yeah, that's a good idea, Roger. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. And I think like 10 points in the first five games. Everything was incredible. Got off to a very good start. And our team was good that year. Very, a very good team. We, were, we ended up losing to Toronto. Eric wasn't available uh, in that first round series. And the Leafs beat us in a low scoring series in round one. Um, so obviously a diff- difficult ending to that. The following year was, you know, that was, that was an incredible season. I mean, we had, if you look back at that team, Mike, and you think about the players on it, Lindros, of course, was not available until late in that conference final. But John McClare was there. Rick Tockett was there, who's now you know a National Hockey League coach. Craig Berube, NHL coach, Stanley Cup champion as a coach. Uh, Luke Richardson was on that team. He's also the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. Brenda Moore had left, you know, in that trade that brought Primo over. Primo was 
you know, and could have been a very good coach if he elected to be. We had a lot of different players. Tarion on the back end with Desjardins. Uh, these, a lot of these guys really did some good things. Brian Boucher is doing television now on a national level. It was quite a mix. Mark Recchi, a Hall of Famer in that lineup as well. Uh, so it was disappointing that we lost that series. That was my last playoff series. Um, unfortunately for me, I was involved in a lot of 3-1 series leads that turned the other way. Three times in my career that happened to me. And I before it's time to retire from this business. Uh, all right. So uh, we had Chris Terry. And he was one of our guests a while ago on, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, he was talking about that that 3-1 where, where Eric is out of the lineup. And you guys are really kind of pushing forward without Eric. And then he comes back. Now, A, Chris didn't have a lot of good things to say about Eric. And B, he said the team, majority of the team, really did not favor him coming back in that series. Uh, what are your recollections of that? I do think there's something to be said for that. I don't. I think it was because we were on the roll that we were on, and you don't want things to change. Um, it's like an injured player returning to the lineup. Sometimes there's hesitation about when you put him in, especially with your team on a roll. Uh, so I do think that was something that was around. But as soon as you put the uniform on and you're playing, you're part of the team. Um, and I do think that, you know, as much as it gets could be overblown when you look back on it, once that jersey was on, you're on the team and you're going to try everything you can to try to win. So we were on a roll. When I look back on it, I think we probably would have finished the Devils if it didn't happen the way it did. I do think that dynamic changed. And if it affects one person, it affects all players. And, you know, if Chris felt that way, then I'm sure there's other players that felt the same way. And that may have, you know, cost us a chance of getting to the Stanley Cup final. But uh, that was, I have fond memories of that season. And it was more about coming together and us against the world type mentality. And, and we just fell a little bit short. Explain to me the dynamic of Eric Lindros. I mean, you were friends with him. LeClaire was friends with him. Other guys weren't friends with him. Uh, you ob- obviously have that, that that personal thing w- with Eric with the uh, in the tub and saving his life that many people say and and all that. But um, it's it, he's the most probably the most controversial star player that may have played in this city. So what was that like to be involved in that? Yeah, no, I, I, I liked him. I actually roomed with him when I arrived in Philadelphia. He had played a big part in me still being here because, you know, when I arrived, I had one leg. I had one knee. My other knee was not very good. So I needed to play with a couple of guys that could carry me, John LeClaire being the other one who's an incredible talent that probably should be a Hall of Fame player as well. Um, so that was that was fine on my end. I, I never had an issue with that. I think he's, you know, I'm happy that he's back in the mix and that he's, you know, coming around to some events. I think that's important. I think there's a lot of fans that loved 88 for years. You look down in the crowd from up above where I was sitting uh, years after he was gone. And there was a lot of 88s and 10s. LeClaire and Lindros really made an imprint as far as the fan base went and sold a ton of tickets. If we could find another one, uh, we'll be happy with that, Mike. There's there's no question that that type of player with the dynamic uh, skill set that he had could go a long way in filling the seats there at the Wells Fargo Center. I got to ask you about your radio career. It's a long time to be in radio in a, on a morning show. I, I don't know how you, you did it for that long. I can't imagine Angela doing it for that long, but you were part of it for a really long time. Uh, what was that like to be part of that that crazy crew? It was the best. 
I mean, I, I, I never went in one day and felt like it was work. Even if I got in from NBC at two o'clock in the morning, slept for two hours and jumped up and went in and had some fun. Uh, he was an incredible guy to work for. Uh, we never had an argument, Mike, and you know what Angelo's like. We never had 21 years. And when I got, I, I always arrived half an hour early, no matter what, no matter what time I got in. And he would vent to me and he would give me everything that's on his mind. And I would just listen to him. And then I would subtly give him a couple of, you know, ideas, maybe get him thinking a little bit differently. And then he would come out guns a blazing and we would have some incredible times on that show and some wild times too. So he was great at getting the best out of everyone. Uh, he knew if he had assets that were going to make his show better, he used them. And it's really a great way to approach anything that anyone does in life. If you're looking at anyone looking from the outside, thinks, oh, this is a loud mouth guy that he just got lucky he got on a run. No, he put all the work in. He did it all and he didn't miss anything. And without him, I don't think I would be doing this either. He was such an influential person in my life as far as giving me an opportunity. That was my first contracted job after I retired. And I have uh, nothing but great things to say about Angelo and still I uh, am connected with him today as uh, hopefully the rest of the world still continues to be connected with him because he's got a lot to say. Well, you probably had the perfect temperament for him, which is to let him in and, and, and not go back at him. That's the way it worked. That's the way everybody had to approach him, which is, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, all right. So. Uh, first of all, regarding that, are you is, is Morgani bugging you for a job now that you're the president of hockey operations? Uh, because he's obviously he's not a guy that likes to stay home. He needs something to do, Keith. So has he been on the on the horn to you? You know, Mike, that was one of the hardest things about this process because Al and I go to dinner all the time. We always have. And I, I didn't tell anybody what was happening. And we'd be sitting across from each other. I think he's still upset with me that I never let him in on it. But he is, uh, he's got a benefit because there's one less guy doing TV. And somehow Al's still doing TVs. So. <laughs> but you're right about him. He hates to stay home. He, uh, he doesn't love Carol, but he loves to be on the road. He <laughs> Yeah, I'm just sure he's going to want some kind of cushy flyer job right now. Uh, all right, so the last thing uh, I just want to get at, this is an amazing story to me because you get traded here, you make Philadelphia your home, or at least you make the wilds of Jersey your home. Like you're tucked away at Shemong and you're raising farm animals and you're having fun with a morning show and you're doing TV, and now this is like real responsibility. So your evolution being traded to the Flyers ends up as you, the president of hockey operations. It's a great story. Do you, do you see it that way? You know, I, I do, Mike. I, I appreciate all of those things. I, and I live, honestly, I live every day like uh, something terrible is going to happen the next day. You know, it's just, that's that's my life. I, I, I never take it for granted. I never, you know, I think a lot of it is on a serious note. I lost my brother when I was young. He was 20 years old. I was like 14. And from that day on, I have this whole thing about live, just go out, live your life. You don't know what's going to happen next. And we all have people that have had, you know, terrible things happen. Uh, one trip to the doctor and all of a sudden something's going the wrong way. Uh, I, that's how I do it. I mean, that's, that's, I believe that has really helped me get to where I am today. And that's the way I'm going to approach it with the Flyers. I'm, I will not take a day for granted with that team and that organization and our fans. I, I want us to, you know, I want us to do the right thing, but I recognize that some things are going to go sideways. 
And when they do, I want to make sure that, you know, we're on top of it and uh, <clears throat> do, do the right job for uh, making things happen for the city. All right. So what just the last question is the talent now that, that you're going to be evaluating since it's going to be three people involved. And I know you've said that Danny has has the last say on personnel, but you have a fine hockey eye. He has a fine hockey eye. Tortorella has a fine hockey eye. How do you blend that with three dudes in there? Yeah, that, that's great. I, I think that's where I'll come in the most as far as, you know, listening and kind of organizing our thoughts together as we try to, you know, find that player. Um, I, I like other people's opinions. I also have strong opinions of my own, and I know the other two guys do also have that type of outlook. Uh, I think by doing it together, we're going to find the right players. And I, I really think that um, we think the game differently in many ways, but it all comes down to the one thing, and that's the it factor. And I think all three of us know what it is. And I think that's the type of thing that we want to make sure that comes to the forefront on, on, that we put on the ice. And I think our fans are going to be proud by the, you know, eventually when we get to the, you know, the results that we're looking for. But it is going to take some time. Well, listen, man, congratulations. I couldn't be happier for you. Uh, I hope this is a springboard to success. Uh, with this franchise, because right now nobody's really talking about the franchise, and I hope one day soon, and I know it's going to take a long time, that the, the Flyers will be back in the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a busy man, uh, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on the Mike Missnelli Podcast, Keith. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much. It was great to catch up with you guys. Thank you. We'll see you up the road. See you, buddy. It's the Mike Missnelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Mike Unleashed. Mike Unleashed is going to be Memorial Day-esque today because Memorial Day weekend's coming. Everybody looks at Memorial Day as the start of the summer, the start of the shore season, all that good stuff. And uh, and I sit here and I go, you know, um, I don't – I'm really not – I'm a shore guy. I have a place down there. But I'm not really fond of the days of, of uh, markation so to speak, like the, the Memorial Day, Labor Day situation, mainly because I hate traffic and I hate battling traffic. But it, it, like, here's the thing. It's too busy. It's too overly busy on Memorial Day and Labor Day because people that normally wouldn't go to the shore think it's the right of passage to go to the shore. Uh, and in Memorial Day, it's, it's usually too cold and too crowded. Now, I know that's a blasphemy for most people who like the Jersey Shore. So let me go to Darren, who's a shore expert. You're a shore rat. I'm a shore, I'm a shore visitor. You're a shore rat. I am. Yeah, no, it's 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 where I was meant to be. <laughs> uh I agree with you on the weather. It is it's it's depressing to a point. I don't want look, I like being down the shore when it's cool. September is amazing down the shore october is beautiful i like a sweatshirt on the beach every once in a while but when the whole weekend like this weekend sunday might be nice it's not really a beach weekend and i'm one of those guys who you know gets to the beach with the kids and everybody like 10 o'clock and i'm still on the beach at 5 36 o'clock in the afternoon um but you know it's still the jersey shore it's still salt air in my lungs which i love and need uh it's good because you know family gets together you know, friends, you only, I have friends I only see down the shore. Uh, I, you know, it's good to always catch up with them. But I do agree with you that the weather is always a challenge for me because I, 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 I complain about weather quite often, uh, particularly down the shore. If it's not nice, I get mad. <laughs> 
but it's usually nicer. Like I'm in Sea Isle and it's a barrier island. So a lot of times you get rain uh, that doesn't hit Sea Isle. And people, I tell people all the time, it never rains at Sea Isle because it's a barrier island and the clouds push around. The Ocean City gets a lot of that rain. Uh, you know, a wildwood gets a lot more rain. So that's a benefit. But still, I, I'd let, you know, Labor Day too. The weather is always a toss-up. Memorial Day and Labor Day are tough. But so. it's also the crowds. Now, I don't know if you're a boardwalk person, but uh, uh, well, the restaurants – like it, it's tough to get reservation in a restaurant. Yeah, it's like you. you I, I don't know. I, I listen. I, I feel fortunate that I have a place to go down there. But in my situation right now, uh, there's a beach replenishment project going on, so I don't even have access to where I go to the beach. Like I have to go down a street to get to the beach, and it's it, it's defeated my enthusiasm for being at the, at the shore. You know, I mean. Uh, yeah, you see what I'm going and and like, I the restaurants are crowded. You can't get in anywhere. It's like the other one. I like the week after Memorial Day is the best week for me to go. I, I agree. I'm usually tied up now and, uh, with softball and the kids. But no, here's I'm not so much a boardwalk guy. Uh, well, I am now because my girls are you know at that age where you know they like going to Ocean City. We'll actually be in Ocean City this weekend at my uh, wife's sister's house. They love the boardwalk. It cost me a small fortune. Uh, but it's only a couple weekends a year that, that they're on that boardwalk. Um, you know, restaurants, I agree. I don't go to a lot of bars anymore because of the kids. Uh, you know, I'm just with them all the time. So I don't get out as often as I would like to. We're more at the house or on the beach. The crowds are tough. Uh, parking is really tough if you don't have a driveway. Um, you know, again, I agree with you on the crowds and the holiday weekends with the exception of July 4th. I'm not wild about it. But I still got to be there. I got to be there. It's tough to get down there, and it's tough to get back. But let me throw a shout-out to my buddy down there, Joe, who uh, has a place in Avalon called Hollywood Bowls. This guy works like 100 hours a week, right? Uh, he has a little shop with Hollywood Bowls, and he has these uh, breakfast bowls, these granolas, and the SCI, or however you pronounce it, and there's smoothies, and, and that Starbucks car. He does a great business. So if you're in Avalon, Hollywood Bowls is the place to go. Now, let me tell you another story about my friend Joe. Uh, my friend Joe has, uh, has been uh, kind of like a, a business vagabond his whole life. He's had... Uh, uh, shops like this, but he's had yeah, a pizza shop, but he's also run parking lots and rent, rented bikes. So he'll rent a, a, a area, he'll rent rent a, a for the summer and have a, a, a parking and, and, and rent bicycles. Well, uh, one day uh, he sends me a picture. I was on the radio, sends me a picture, and he said, I uh, guess you just parked in my parking lot. And it's a picture of him and Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen had run. This was in Wildwood. Springsteen had, had just driven to Wildwood, parked in his lot. He goes, "Wait, hey, you're you're Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, can we take a picture? Yeah." I guess what are you doing here, Bruce? He goes, ah, "I'm just down here to walk the boards." So he sends me this picture. I put an alert out, folks. Right now in Wildwood, walking the boardwalk, the boss, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Apparently. There was a rush down the Wildwood, but at that time he had gone, he had come and gone. But I have the picture of my buddy Joe at Bruce Springs. Can you imagine that boss, boss rolling up, parking, parking in your parking lot just to walk the boardwalk? I, I saw, I, was he on his bike? If I remember this, was he on his motorcycle? 
No, it was Carl. Yeah, big. Uh, yeah, it was a big. Because uh, I, I remember you telling me that, but for some reason I thought he was on his motorcycle. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah Bruce. Yeah, he had a boss. The boss was. <laughs> uh, all right, I think that uh, that's a little bit of Mike Unleashed for today. Uh, so uh, let me tell you about natural lawn. All right, I'm looking at my lawn out there, and I go, man, this lawn is really beautiful. Now, now I, I started to do it earlier in the spring, but you, you got to trust your lawn as professionals because you always screw up. Uh, and you're going to get crabgrass, and you're going to get clover, and you're going to get weeds. That's what natural lawn does, and they do it naturally. It's a, it's an organic material they put down, so you don't have to worry about the poisons. You don't have to worry about your dog tromping on it and licking the paws the whole bit. It's really a great service, and I'll tell you what the big service is, mosquito control. You know, those mosquitoes are bastards. You go in the backyard, you get eaten alive, especially, you know, the, the fleshy, the fleshy white-skinned women. Always get bit bit by by the mosquitoes, right? Well, they put the application down, they kill the larva, they kill the whole thing, and there's no mosquitoes. So yeah, that's a great service. So go to Natural Lawn, look them up online, and find the service that's nearest you. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, all right, time for three questions for Mikey Miss. Darren, what do you got? Three questions, Mike. Summertime, baby. Memorial Day weekend. We're going to go with a Memorial Day summertime Jersey Shore theme here, Mike. First question. What is your ba- favorite or what is the best Jersey Shore bar? Uh, the best Jersey Shore bar. <laughs> well, listen, back in the day, I used to go to Margate a lot. It's always like back in the day. Like it, it, it changes, right? Like back in the day, you, you hang out at Margate and Maynard's was, was always good. But then you, know, like, you get towards the Ocean City Sea Isle uh, area. Uh, I used to go to the Dead Dog Saloon uh, every now and then, and then it, of course the Ocean Drive was always alive. But um, you know the Delville Inn, I go there, and now that it's fixed up, I go there, and they have a really nice bar uh, that uh, is outside. So I like the outside bars uh, where you can just relax under an awning and then look out at the bay. So right now, it'll be the Delville Inn. Well, I'll disagree with you in that. Good Jersey Shore bars are timeless. They've been around forever, uh, with the exception of the carousel. You know, most of the ones I, I grew up, my haunts are all still around. My favorite, by the way, I got to tell you, because it's in the same town as yours, uh, Twisties. Twisties. You're going to go to Twisties. Twisties yeah, see, I, I, I hear this from a lot of people. Um, if Twisties had an outdoor piece, it would be a great bar. Well, they do. They have a couple. There's, it's small, yeah, but there's a couple. Small. It's too small. I used to roll up at Twisties with my my uh, wave runner and walk in yeah. with, with a wetsuit. But it's too right. it's too cloistered inside. You know, there's got to be a way for them to make that into a nice little outdoor piece. I tell you, the two most important things for a Jersey Shore bar is you got to have like a good sandwich, either, and they have a great burger there at Twisties. Good food, and you got to have a jukebox. You got that? I'm good. Love twisties. My favorite part about it is, is if you're walking by, you think it's just a house. <laughs> you don't even know what you don't know it's there. That's what I mean. I wish they could expand it and put it like put a patio yeah. out there that, that goes out to the bay, and that would be really great. Or but extend anyway. the bulkhead, maybe. But, yeah. Okay. That's question number one. Question number two, Mike, who is the better boardwalk, Ocean City or Wildwood? Uh well, uh Wildwood has the most fascinating boardwalk to me. Uh, it was the boardwalk of my youth uh, that we used to go to Wildwood every year, the same week every year. Uh, it, it's it's a little dirtier and grungier than, than the Ocean City boardwalk, but it's got a lot more grunge character to it. So uh, I'll go uh, I'll go Wildwood. 
I couldn't possibly agree with you more. I don't think it's close. I really don't. Uh, Ocean City's decent, but wow, it's a fantastic boardwalk. Okay, question number three. Um, you're on the beach. It's hot. You see the fudgy wudgy man coming, right? Fudgy wudgy. What is the Mikey Miss fudgy wudgy man treat of choice? Uh, the strawberry eclair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> strawberry eclair. But let me tell you this. See, the fudgy wudgy man. Does the fudgy wudgy man still come to Wildwood? He's in Wildwood. He's in Sea Isle. Oh, I don't. I see. I've never seen the fudgy wudgy man. I don't well, go to Wildwood. Where, where you are is yeah. old. No, when I true. grew up, when I grew up, obviously the fudgy wudgy man with the big case, he was carrying it around a whole bit. Fudgy wudgies, right? Uh, I uh, probably do the calculation on this. The old man was very frugal. Uh, I think that we were allowed one uh, purchase of a fudgy wudgy per 100 <laughs> trips that the fudgy wudgy man would go by. All right. I'm telling you, it, it was a golden day when the old man would agree to buy a fudgy wudgy, but it was the ratio was one out of a hundred trips the fudgy wudgy man would come by. Oh, that's funny. That's a great. They come down, Mike. You got to see them. They're they're like they use fishing coolers, which are like you know eight ten feet long out on the big mm-hmm. like the big like plastic rubber wheels and they push them up that's uh, amazing oh they have the wheels oh, now the, see the guy the big like the guy used to carry it on a shoulder strap back in the day yeah he used to have a pad on his shoulder oh, yeah. the whole pit. sea isle now has a um an iced coffee could two girls they go up and down the beach all day with iced coffee that's a good that. idea you got to get approval for that though yeah, that's yeah. a lot of red tape to get oh, that concession oh yeah, oh, yeah. very poor Let's close it down. I got a big winery event. Everybody's welcome, by the way. Total inclusion at my winery event. I'm part owner of a place called Natalie Vineyards in the Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. It's a wonderful little boutique place. You'll have a lot of fun. And I'm going to be having what we call a cellar talk. You know, the wine cellar. But I'll be outside hanging out with people from one to four at Natalie Vineyards. It's off of Delcy Drive. Uh, it's very easy to find. It's one hour from the, each bridge. If you uh, live in Jersey, you're headed down the shore. Saturday, it's going to be a little cool. Come out and hang out with me. We'll drink some wine. It's going to be fantastic. Again, Natalie Vineyards, you look at it online, nataliavineyards.com. And we have some great wines. I'm telling you, I'll sit there and sip wines with you. And if we can smoke a cigar, I'll smoke a cigar with you. I don't know what the rules are yet for that, though. All right. Hopefully, we'll see everybody there. Saturday, this coming Saturday, and it's from one to four. And Darren, you're going to hopefully show up, right? Yeah, I think uh, my lovely bride and I will be swinging by uh, for a little red. Very yeah. nice. Have a glass of uh, Sauvignon Blanc in the in the crisp uh, sunny. She's a air. white uh, wine drinker, so yeah, she'll get white or rosé for her. Beautiful. Uh, All right. Uh, I also have a new video blog that I'm doing. It's on my website, MikeMiss.com. I do it every Friday. We just kind of wrap up some of the things I talked about uh, this week in in kind of one uh, little blog. Uh, audio blog. So uh, go to the website, check out all the stuff that's going on uh, on MikeMiss.com. Uh, you can also uh, get information on my book, The Adventures of Shima the Sheba, which, by the way, has been reduced in price. The, the hardcover has been reduced in price. You go on, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, it's now selling for 18 bucks. It's a steal at $18, believe me. And the paperback's even less. So check that out on my website, MikeMiss.com, or on Amazon.com, or BarnesandNoble.com. And you can always get in touch with me uh, through my email, which is Mike at MikeMiss.com, or check me out on Twitter at MikeMiss25. I think that's all we, uh, we have for today. 
Anything else, Darren? Did we miss anything? No, have a great down the shore weekend. First of the summer. Summer's here, yes. man. Everybody have a great rest of the day. Have a great weekend. We're going down to shore. We're just hanging out with barbecues with family around the house. Uh, and thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast. Tell your friends and neighbors. All you got to do is call it up, subscribe. It'll come to your inbox almost every week. We're having some great guests and great conversation. And thanks for being a part of it. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. It's Mike Miss saying so long for now. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.